Please welcome up to the stage uh, Victoria Van Campen. Give it up for her. <clears throat> While she's getting set, I just want to share a little bit about her. Um, I met her uh, not too long ago, and um, we've had just great conversations. Uh, one day where I really spent time with her, um, we actually ended up at the cafe here in City on a Hill. is a great cafe, and so uh, we just had this meeting, and she just talked about the things that God is leading her in in life, and, and um, she's just very brave and has a lot of passion uh, for seeing what God has put in her life uh, be on display, but then also what God has put in her life help others. Uh, it's one thing to get something on your own and say, look what the Lord has done in my life. Uh, I'm so glad that that's over. Uh, it's a whole nother thing to say, uh, look, I'm so glad. Look what the Lord has done. Now I'm going to go get as many people to come with me out of the places that they're in and experience this same victory that I have. Amen. Uh, the scripture says that, uh, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all ways was tempted, yet was without sin. So that scripture says this, our God is a God who can connect with us and say, hey, you're hurting. Hey, this happened. You know what? I understand what it's like because I lived here on earth and I went through that. And so we've heard great stories and great testimonies of how God has delivered. And some of those are really exciting, but some of them are also really painful and it's hard to come up and share, and, and you have to be really honest about uh, whether it be suffering or struggle or doubt. But you know what? God is also a God who can relate to those things because he came and experienced those things. And, um, and so I just want you to just give your best attention uh, and just really um, kind of zone in and take for you uh, all these incredible words and processes that God has done. And, um, and then I'll stop talking because there's so much to, to hear and say here. So uh, go for it. Okay. I brought my note cards here, um, <laughs> just to stay on track. Um, first, I just want to say that it's an honor to be sharing the platform with so many of the other people that have shared testimonies. We've um, really seen some awesome miracles. Um, and um, my story is a little bit different in that um, we had a miracle that we prayed for. Um, prayed for it like we knew it would happen. Prayed for it. There was no doubt, 100%. Um, and we didn't, we didn't get the miracle the way that we prayed for. And, um, and that's the story I'm here to tell about my daughter, Sydney, who um, we lost her eight years ago, almost eight years ago. Um, you know, you, when you don't get your miracle, sometimes you wonder, did I not pray hard enough? You know, um, was there some sin? I mean, she believed so much that she would be able to share her testimony, her healing testimony here on earth. And, um, and she, she wasn't able to. Um, just a little bit about her story. Sydney was born with four tumors on her brain and spinal cord. They were non-cancerous tumors, um, but they, they were disabling. They did cause some pressure on the brain, stem, and spinal cord. Um, she had five surgeries by the time she was uh, five years old. And um, the doctor here at Butterworth Hospital, the first surgery she had was about 18 hours long. And the doctor here um, said that he, they had never seen that much. She had four tumors, so they'd never seen that much growth in, in such a small child. And, and so her case was a little bit unusual. Um, six months or so after the surgery, they were able to just debulk some of the tumors, but six, month, six months after the surgery, it had all grown back. So the biopsy reports showed that they were mature fat cells that weren't supposed to multiply, 
And so the doctors weren't sure why they grew back. And so we did seek out um, a doctor in Chicago, and we started going to Children's Memorial in Chicago, and they hadn't seen anything like hers either. Um, so as a mom, you, you sometimes wonder, you know, what did I do? You know, what did I do during my pregnancy? Did I do something that I shouldn't have? Should, did I drink too much Diet Coke or whatever, you know? And the doctors just said, no, that's just, that's just the way she was made. There, there were fat cells that grew where they weren't supposed to, and that's just the way she was made. Um, so going back to when she was first born, I was in the hospital, and there were some made, just some minor abnormalities. And so they took her right from me just to do some testing. And this had nothing to do with the tumors. This was something else they were looking at. But I was alone in my room with my um, mother-in-law at the time. And she could sense that I was really scared about what was going to happen. And so she prayed with me. And she said, I just need to tell you something. Now, this was a godly woman who had lost a son in a drowning at the age of four, had another son who had MS, and so this was a mom who understood what she was going to tell me. She said, Victoria, our children are a gift from God. They're a gift to us, but before they were ours, they were God's. And we're given that gift to, to raise, take care of, teach them about Jesus, and do the best we can here on earth, but sometimes he has a plan we don't always know what that is. We just have to be okay with it. And at the time, that didn't really sink in, but later that will, I found that was the foundation for getting me through this journey. Um, because those tests came out fine and there was nothing that they found that was wrong. Um, but fast forward eight months later, um, going to a pediatrician's appointment where the doctors realized that the circumference of Sydney's head was a little bit larger than um, her body proportionately, so they wanted to check it out. They said, it's probably not a concern, but let's just go ahead and, and um, find out. So we had to go get an ultrasound. The ultrasound tech called the doctor in. They told me, your daughter has water on the brain. We don't know why, so we need you to go get an MRI. So we did that. After the MRI, we were in Grand Rapids driving back to Holland. It was the longest drive back ever. I just looked over at my little baby and just bawled. You know, how, could, how was I going to do this? I was young in my faith, in my 20s, wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I had just um, gotten to know the Lord. And I just, I didn't know how I would do it. And I had, I think, my first encounter with the Holy Spirit at that time. Because I had this overwhelming calm come over me, and I heard this still small voice say, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. You need to be strong for your other two children. We're going to do this. And I just, I, I just believed it. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but I just thought, okay, this is, this is going, to be, it's going to be okay. Um, so the first surgery, that 18-hour surgery, um, I remember you know, just having so much peace, but going through that whole day, and so many people came and went and visited, and I just, I got through that because of the Holy Spirit carrying me through it. I just could not explain it any other way. Um, but the next day, we were waiting for the doctor to come, and I had heard that there was another family, there was an emergency surgery on another little girl, and so we waited, waited, waited that whole day, and um, the doctor never came. And I found myself praying for that other mom 
because I was like, I was just there yesterday, and I wonder if she has, the, has you know, people praying for her, and I wonder how, if she'll be able to get through it. And so without even thinking about it, I got up, and I walked down to that surgery waiting room, and I don't even really remember doing it, so I do believe it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know who the family was. I didn't know what they looked like, but I walked in the room, and I instantly knew who the mom was. And I went over and I talked to her and I said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I've been upstairs praying for you. And I was here yesterday and what you're going through, I went through. And she looked at me and she said, I was falling apart just now. And you came and you're making it okay. And she was a Christian, so she knew that God had sent me there to talk to her, pray with her. And, you know, we just... I just saw that so much through her story. I mean, I remember a time on the elevator. I remember um, a time out in the MVP parking lot after the fact telling someone a story. And time and time again, I would hear things like, well, you know, I just didn't really know if I believed in God, but hearing your story now, I mean, there must be a God, you know? Um, And and that's how God used um, Sydney's situation. And she started to pick up on that as well. Um, I remember one time in kindergarten, um, in the kindergarten class they had where everyone was VIP for the week. And so she got to um, make a VIP poster and put it up. And I said to her, okay, you have to put what's your favorite book? And she put the Bible. And then what is something that you like about yourself? And she said, say that I like that I have tumors. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, I don't like that I have tumors, but I like that we get to tell God, uh, tell people about Jesus and God about my tumors. And so I put it up, and it was so cool because I knew we were witnessing to people because everyone went up and read the, read the story, you know. Um, another fun story is um, <laughs> one day, day we were doing devotions, and we were reading, and I brought the scripture that we were reading. We were reading um, in Romans and in James. And the Romans was um, the, the scripture that says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And James 1, 2, and 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And the devotion we were doing that day prompted questions. And so I asked her, I said, hey, Sid, can you think of a time, you know, that you had something that happened to you? And I was going to try to tie in, you know, the, um, the scripture. And now this is a a little girl who had just uh, less than a year before lost her dad as well to an industrial accident. And then 20 days later, my mom died. And so she lost two people she loved. And then she had all of her medical challenges. So I was expecting her to say something like that. Um, But she just sat there and she said, well, there was that one time when my sisters almost dropped me out of the (laughs) treehouse, you know? And I'm thinking, she didn't understand it, but she understood it. Like, she she didn't look at her, everything she went through with her medical challenges as something, it was like childlike faith. It was like, almost like she found purpose in that, but she certainly didn't find purpose in falling out of the treehouse. So, you know. Um, and then at about age seven or so, I found a scripture, and um, it was John 9, 1 through 3. And it's a scripture where the disciples are asking Jesus when they come across a blind man, 
um, they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And, got, and Jesus said, nobody sinned, not this uh, man nor, nor his parents sinned. This, was, this happened so that the work of God could be seen in his life. And she loved that scripture, and she kind of coined that as hers, and she understood that. Um, so seven years go by. There's not a lot of surgeries. Um, she's a typical teenager, um, sweet as can be, but sarcastic. And her eye roll, oh, my goodness. She would, um, she would come up with stuff sometimes. And the people that know her know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, you know, we just continued to go to, to Chicago, um, get checkups. But all the time, God would just, you know, give us opportunities to be able to witness to people through her story. Um, but fast forward to the last year of her life, um, things took a real turn for the um, worse. Four more surgeries, um, long stays at Mary Freebed Hospital, two months one time, three months another time. And we did the same thing. We tried to witness. We made it fun. We held the spirit week at school or at the hospital because she missed it at school. I mean, we just had a blast. But all the while, she suffered. I mean, she was in so much pain. Um, she had spinal fluid leaking, like we, we heard Sam Hope talk about, you know, laying flat. Um, and she still would try to find some fun out of it, even though, you know, she struggled. Um, I got to a point, though, where I really struggled because I would look at her and see the faith that she had, and I would see her disappointment, and then I would, I would it's almost like Jesus in the garden. She was saying, you know, take this cup, but then whatever your will. You know, she would get disappointed, but then she would be okay. And I remember just being on my knees and praying, God, you know, where are you? Like, seriously, come on. She wants to tell of her healing story here on earth. Where are you? How come you're not healing her, you know? And I would, I would just be on my knees just shaking my fists at him and say, come on, you know? And um, one time when she was on the lumbar drain, and she was laying flat. We were reading out of a, a devotional, and I said to her, you know, I just think, because he can, I just think Jesus needs to walk right through that hospital door and heal you right now. I'm claiming it. That's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. And she says to me, I roll, mom, but maybe that's not how it's supposed to be right now. And it was like, she taught me so much. It was... Um, she just, I don't know, she, it was Romans 8, 28 lived out, really, in her life. And that scripture is, um, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And she really, truly believed she had a purpose in her suffering. And she taught that to me because sometimes I just, I mean, I didn't understand it. I really didn't. But I think without saying it, she lived her life in a way that she understood like it talks about in First Peter, where it talks about us as believers being brothers and sisters of Christ, being co-heirs for the inheritance. But at the same time, it also talks about the suffering. And, you know, aren't we always willing and okay to accept the inheritance, but not sometimes okay to accept the suffering, to share in the suffering, you know, that, that Christ suffered for us. And she... Like I said, never said it, but that's how she lived her life. Um, so there were a lot of complications in the end, and Sydney did end up on life support, and we did lose her. Um, she went home to be with Jesus, 
she wasn't suffering anymore. But we didn't get the miracle that we believed we would get. But we did see other miracles. And if people were to ask me today, even though I went through that, do you still believe in miracles? I would say absolutely. Because we saw how, God, how good God was even through all of it. Um, one of the things that we were blessed with in the hospital was at the end, um, a couple days before she died, the, um, there was a neurologist there, and he had been looking at all of her films from the time she was a baby till the time, um, you know, up to the last film they took for the MRI. And he kept talking about her being in a wheelchair all her life. And I said, no, she was only in a wheelchair for the last year. And he said, but I don't understand. And I said, well, what do you mean? She, she, he said, you mean she walked all those years? And I said, yes, she did. And he said, based on her MRI films, how um, smashed, he didn't use that word, but you know how much pressure was on the spinal cord and the brainstem, she should not have been able to walk. But based on God, she walked. You know, So I was like, that was a miracle for us. Um, another miracle was what we saw in other people's lives. So Gift of Life came and approached us and asked us if we would like to consider donating organs. So we did. Um, we donated some organs um, and some tissue when Sydney died. And um, we started to get letters from the recipients saying that they were so thankful for the gift. Um, I got to meet one of them. There's a lady named Carol that I've gotten to spend some time with, and she has one of my daughter's kidneys. Carol got her miracle. Um, the other one, just before Thanksgiving, the year she died, we got a letter from the Michigan Eye Bank, and it said, um, it was a thank you letter, and it said, because of the corneal tissue donation, there was a, a young man out of Lapeer, Michigan, who was blind, but he can now see. So he got his miracle. You know, God was so good. I mean, I'll have to tell you that the hardest thing ever that I'll ever have to go through is planning a funeral for my child. Uh, we called it a celebration of life service, though. Um, but all through planning, we were trying to remember everything fun and good about her, looking through pictures. And all of a sudden, I came under spiritual attack. The enemy got in my head and was telling me lies and saying, you didn't even ask her. You were giving away her organs, and you didn't even ask her. She never got to make that, that decision, that choice. And so I started doubting myself, and I couldn't shake it. But we were, we were you know, looking through the um, pictures and everything, and I remembered, um, actually, I believe it was God. God told me, there is a paper that your daughter wrote. You need to have that for a board you know, with the pictures. You need to put that up there. And I was like, where's that paper? Where's that paper? It never got returned because she had just turned it in a couple weeks before. And I said, on the computer. It's probably on the computer. All the while, I'm still under spiritual attack. I pull up the, the paper. It was where I stand. And I'm just going to read a couple things off here. Um, and it was, she had written it. And it said, I would say there are many different things that define where I stand, who I am, what I think, what I hope, what I love, and what I'm tired of are some of the biggest and most important parts. Okay, you ready? I am a caring and giving person. 
I have my moments of selfishness, but if there's something you need and I have, I would say it's very rare that I would not give it to you. I get great joy out of helping people and giving them something they need. I pretty much always think of others first. And I knew that was God. It's like, okay, devil, you can just get back now because, you know. Um, but there's a couple other things in this paper I wanted to read, too. Um, when she talked about what she hoped, she hoped she could use her life story to glorify God. And she referenced John 9, 1, 3 about Jesus talking about the blind man. And then she wrote, I'm tired of my current situation in life. From May to June 07, I lost my function on my right side. This also meant that I lost my ability to walk. I chose to have surgery to untether my spinal cord from scar tissue that had attached to it. I was expecting a much more positive outcome. I worked really hard in physical and occupational therapy several times a week for almost a year. After a while, I stopped making improvements, so I decided to have another surgery to try to untether more of my spinal cord. That took place in June of 08, and all it did was make me worse. At times, I just want to give up, but I know, if I do, that I'll never get any better. I have to remind myself that God has a reason for everything and a purpose for everyone. And that was, that was um, a paper that she wrote just before she died. So... Um, you know, I guess I just think about the legacy that she left. Um, there's a song that we played at her service um, called Legacy, and the words were, um, I want to leave a legacy. How will they remember me? Did I choose to love? Did I point to him enough to make a mark on things? I want to leave an offering, a child of mercy and grace who blessed your name unapologetically. I want to leave a legacy. And... That was her. She left a legacy. Um, we uh, one time I heard a speaker talk about when you die, you know when you the, when you are born when you die someday you have a memorial stone the day you're born and the day you die, and there's that dash in between. And what will your life represent? Well, we had her dash be the Jesus fish, <laughs> the ichthus, because that's what that's what her life represented. And at the bottom, another part in that song. Um, it says, well done, good and faithful one. We have that down there. Um, you know, so a lot of times people will ask me, how, how could you do it? How could you go through all this? And I just say, she, she helped me. I mean, she made it, she made it easier. Um, I could have never been the mom to her that I was if she hadn't been the daughter that she was to me. But you know what? <laughs> She could have never been the daughter that she was to me if God hadn't been the father that he was to her. So with about five minutes left, um, you know, I'm a pastor. And so I'm supposed to be the guy who can put the, the bows on all these things. And, um, you know, she kept using these terminologies like, um, you know, she didn't get her miracle. Others got their miracle. But to sit here with note cards in your hand detailing the process of your ch child's passing away, the grace that's on her life to be able to give God glory through that yeah. is a miracle she got. Amen. And so the number one thing we want to try to give our kids in life is full love. You know, at the end of the day, everything we do is so that they can experience the highest amount of love. So the school they go to, the things we give them, okay, and so we make all these decisions to make sure that they feel and live that way. 
Well, obviously, we all know about heaven, that heaven is the highest form of love anybody can experience. Being with your creator, being with your savior, uh, it hurts us here on this side of earth anytime we have a loss. And I don't have a great statement for you, you know, to put a bow on a child passing away. Because... Like, I, I couldn't do that. I'm telling you as your pastor, like, I would walk away, not from God. But I, I couldn't sit in a chair with no cards in my lap talking about the passing of one of my kids. So this is a miracle, but it's also something you can step into. Any pain, maybe for you it's a divorce. Maybe for you it is your you know, child. Maybe it's just an experience that you've had that, that you can't get over. The scripture says that there's a peace that we can experience that passes all understanding. Meaning God has that. That's what she is sitting in right now is this peace that surpasses any understanding. And so my encouragement to you, probably about six or nine months ago, uh, Victoria gave me a DVD of this whole story. And I've barely watched it because I can't. While I looked forward to this day uh, for what it's going to do in people, I've dreaded this day because of, there's, no, there's no let me get my Bible and, and make sure you all leave here feeling perfect about it because you can't. Because she stood at a bedside praying for her child to be healed and that child's in heaven. And we know that that's healing. We know that. But it's different than what we would like to feel. Amen? And, and so I guess the takeaway for me to you is I can sit and be very real with you and even say right now, I don't understand it. I, just, I still don't understand. I'm a pastor. This is what I do. And I don't understand it today. I don't understand it. Uh, I understand everything you've said about uh, the testimony and meeting people in elevators and encouraging them at MVP gyms. I understand, I understand all of that, but I will still leave here today not understanding any of it. Are you with me? Okay. But at the end of the day, even David said, all these things he lists about God, deliver me this, and then he gives this line, but if not, you're still God to me. Nothing changes because I know that you're still God and my Savior and you're all loving. And I think the one thing about Victoria and this whole story is whether it's her daughter's writings or the notes cards or whatever, at the end of it all, but if not, you're still God and you get all the glory. And I think if we can keep that mindset, we win. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that? I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, maybe wrap up or? Um, I guess let me ask you one question. Okay. This is what I don't understand for me. How I'm a process driven. That's how, how can I say this? My kid gets the fever and we shut things down. I mean, my wife is kicked out of the bed. She's sleeping on the floor. Karen, the kids are in the bed and I'm just exaggerating. Some of you are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was trying to make a joke. Uh, okay. My kid gets a fever. We shut things down. It's like, oh, this thing, you know, and we just all attention. And I get tunnel. All I want to do is make sure we get kids okay. You have these surgeries after surgeries. 
I would not be in an elevator or a gym parking lot being like, hey, let me take some extra time to care for you and pray for you and pray for I'd be like, my kid. And that's all I would care. How did you get to a place where you could still consider others and pray for others and give empathy? Honestly, it wasn't me. I just believe that the Holy Spirit carried me. I just believe it because of how many times over and over and over he put people across my path and I just was there and I opened my mouth. And, and how I know it wasn't me is there was actually a time when I didn't listen. I was prompt and I didn't listen. Um, and this was so eye-opening for me. I saw a family and they, I could tell they were brand new at the hospital and I felt prompted to go talk to them and I argued with God and I was yeah. like, I'm not going to, I'm tired. I was not in a good place in my walk at the time. I had family drama going on. I'm like, I can't do this right now. I'm just mm -hmm. not going to. And I didn't. And then she went in for her procedure. I went looking for a pop machine on a different floor. I walk in. There's the family. Yeah. I stood at the pop machine. I'm like, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to talk to them. I don't know what to say. Because where I was in my walk at the time, I wasn't. I wasn't feeling led by the Spirit. I was prompted, but I wasn't feeling led. Yeah. So I feel like the more I was in the Word, I mean, this whole thing with my daughter is what started my walk with God, truly. Mm -hmm. So seeking Him out constantly, always abiding in Him, continually putting it in, because you can't give what you don't have. So just continually putting it in. And in the times in my walk when I couldn't do it, or I, I wasn't listening to the prompting, it's, it's where I was in my walk with the Lord. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it was a direct, so it was just the Holy Spirit carrying me, and I just had to continue to seek his face. Mm -hmm. Very good. Any one thing you would say to anybody who's going through something they don't understand, they can't calculate, they, they want to, if they could, just get out of it and run as far from it? Just to trust God. Yeah. To trust God. I mean, we've had a lot of things happen in life. I'm in the, the middle of the storm right now even in my life, and it's just to trust God, to surrender, yeah. to just put up your white flag and yeah. to surrender completely. That's good. That's good. Will you please thank her? And. Uh...